Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your host Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of the Disciples Men podcast. Alex Ruth with you, and we have Greg Alexander with us today as well. Greg, how are you today? Doing great, Alex. So good to be with you again in the podcast. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I did. I hope you did as well. We did. Lovely. So thanks for asking. Well, let's catch everybody up for a moment. Uh, We've been uh, six or seven episodes into the podcast now, so let's catch everyone up uh, on where we've been, because I think that will set us up well um, for the next few episodes um, as we delve into some really seminal work, um, uh, seminal um, information on why um, disciples men is moving in the direction that it is. So uh, catch us up, if you would, Greg. Uh, Where have we been thus far? I think that's a great idea, Alex. Um, We have have looked at four, excuse me, three main topics uh, getting us ready for our conversation today. Uh, The first one that we did was realm of influence. Uh, Realm of influence is where we look at how male behavior, you know, our behavior as men impacts the lives of the people uh, most near and dear to us in what we call our realm of influence. Those are the people whose lives are impacted by the decisions, uh, the priorities, the behaviors, et cetera, that we exhibit in our lives. And so, um, you know, one of the, that is how we influence uh, the people around us. And it's important to understand that as one of the motivating factors for maybe altering behavior. The second one that we looked at was patriarchy. Patriarchy is the uh, is the system of power that has been given to men from since the beginning. I guess uh, you know that men the men have always seemed to occupy the roles of power in society for as long as it's been recorded, and uh, in that uh, our work uh, in in the Jesus way work that we're doing as we move forward with disciples men is to help us understand. Uh, patriarchy's uh, role in the realm of influence, one, but also in a larger society and how how patriarchy has historically denied uh, certain segments of our population um, their fullness uh, in, in living out their life. Uh, and so we, we are here to discuss uh, how we dismantle patriarchy and level the playing field for one and all. Then we talked about competition. And this is beginning to narrow us into our conversation today. Uh, We live in a capitalistic society where competition rules. Uh, You know, uh, in our in our um, uh, Wall Street world and uh, in Madison Avenue world, is that competition? My product is better. Your product is how it all works. And in order to get people to uh, buy into our products. Uh, uh, we have to convince them why there is a need, what deficiencies these individuals have that our products can 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 take care of. I'm, as you know, uh, I'm a person who's who's bald and uh, uh, <laughs> medically bald, not because I shave my head. 
And, uh, and unlike you know, some of us, yes, yes, uh, you and I share that same <laughs> trait. And uh, and you know, uh, there are all kinds of commercials out there, people telling us that their product will help us grow hair and why it's important that we have hair and not the look that we have, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so again, they are define define uh, for us baldness as a deficiency. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so they have, they create products to, to help us overcome that deficiency. And of course, you know, that's true. And, uh, you know, uh, male enhancement products or when it comes to, you know, our, our, uh, sexual side, all that kind of, it, it's all there. And, and again, it all uh, starts from the premise that we're flawed and that they're there to help us overcome the flaws. And so competition is a significant part of uh, of of what defines uh, male the male world, and again, that's not exclusive to us. That's true for all of us, men and women alike. So, realm right. of influence, patriarchy, competition; these are all the what that we're dealing with uh, in 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 designing ministries for men that are more effective, that you know, that are um, more just for one and all. Uh, today mm-hmm. we're moving into really kind of the deeper water of uh, of our conversation when we're talking about the immature and the mature masculine. The immature masculine is 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 really uh, its its bedrock is competition, and so right. one of the things that defines the immature man is his ability to compete, how well he competes in the world, and. His trophies for competing well uh, are are the prize that all of us strive mm-hmm. to gain, and uh, and so uh, the, the the conversation about the immature masculine and the mature masculine later a little later on in the next podcast uh, are really foundational as to why uh, we begin to change, uh, look at ourselves in a different kind of way with a different lens. And why it will most likely, at least for you and me, why it it inspires us to change um, change our ways, and uh, and the way that we are trying to follow is the Jesus way that we've been that we've been talking about in all of our podcasts. Hey, Greg, I want to. I think you touched on something pretty important there, and I want to go back to it just briefly. Um, when you were talking about competition, the word that came to my mind, or the image that came to my mind, was competition is a lens through which uh, we can view the world. It is the predominant lens for the immature masculine. But what we're saying is that there are other lenses, there are other ways to look at the world, and the mature masculine. Um, has a lens or a series of lenses um, that are not necessarily devoid of competition, but it is not the dominant. That would be correct. Would you say that's a, a fair character characterization? You think it is, and you know, competition is the is the is the lens that our culture has embraced. And again, it doesn't serve my interest. It serves the interest of our of our economic system, and mm-hmm. uh, and by keeping us competitors one with another, you know, as long as I feel like I have something more to gain, uh, especially you know, I will work harder to have more money, you know, to buy or achieve whatever that is. And so it is, and uh, that keeps me engaged in the economic system. Uh, which we're a part of. Again, right. I'm not. I'm not. Please hear me. I'm not 
putting down, uh, you know, our economic system. It serves me just like it serves you and everybody else. It's a matter of its, right. its role and how we understand its hold on us. Is it a tool or is it that which defines us? And right. um, competition, when it's your primary lens, says that, that uh, you know, competition or the capitalistic system or economic system is that which defines us. How well I, mm-hmm. I succeed in that system is what defines who I am. And, right. uh, you know, uh, as followers of Jesus, we would say, no, no, that's a false identification of who you are, that Jesus gave us a different lens to understand who we are and how we achieve our, our full potential that God gave each of us. It's, it's a different lens to understand who we are than the one that all of us have been given as um, growing up in Western culture. Right, right. All right. So if competition is the primary lens of immature masculine, um, and we're probably not going to be able to get completely away from it, but what are some other characteristics uh, or what are some other important things that we need to know about uh, this immature masculine? It's where we all start our journeys. It is. Uh, um, I want to give credit where credit is due as we move forward in this conversation. Uh, In 1991, uh, Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette wrote a book entitled King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, and uh, uh, rediscovering the archetypes of the mature masculine. Um, Moore is a, is a well-known uh, Jungian psychologist who's written a number of stuff on Jungian archetypes, and, uh, but he and Gillette combined to focus on, 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 on the, uh, the male side of, of that, where they identified four primary archetypes that, um, uh, that define who a man is in, in our culture. An archetype is uh, is a universal pattern of behavior. It comes; it's an unconscious um, element that uh, yeah, each society, uh, you know, a society from the very beginning, we go all the way back, uh, had to define roles to the people within the family or the tribe in order to survive. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. historically, you know, the the male was the uh, the provider and the protector. And the woman was the was the one who who nurtured and and cared for the for the family structure, and uh, and again those are grossly simple simplifications, uh, but they, they make the point is that you know that everybody had a role that they had to fulfill in order for the family or in the larger collection the tribe to survive. Those patterns of behavior of the assuming responsibilities become unconscious roles that the people of the tribe or the family are expected to play. And that becomes uh, sort of, uh, uh, it becomes an energy form uh, that exists in all, in all cultures uh, that, that just automatically define those roles for everybody as a male in our culture. I know, you know, this is what defines me. And again, it's not a conscious thing. It's, it's the expectation that is laid upon me from the day I'm born. And, uh, and over time, from the very simple days of the beginning of our you know, human existence, over time, as co- cultures and societies has gotten more complex, is that those uh, archetypes have gotten more 
sophisticated, subdivided, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And the, and, but there, there's a pattern that we go through in, in the developmental nature of these archetypes. You know, when I am born, um, you know, I am what uh, uh, Moore and Gillette would call, I enter into the realm of the divine child. And uh, the divine child is, uh, is the one in whom becomes the center of his or her world. I'm born into gotcha. a system where I have no means to care for self. I am totally dependent right. on, on the world around me. And therefore, I better become the center of those caregivers' world. And so the divine child means that the whole world revolves around me upon my birth. And that's the, right, that's right. the, uh, that's where we all start. And hopefully, you know, hopefully that all of us are born into a family system where that is true, where we do become the center of our parents and our family's realm. And, uh, that's required for us to, to not only survive, but to, you know, to mature in healthy ways Now we all right. know because Go ahead. Because we are unable to care for ourselves, uh, yet that's an important part of, of, of our development. You know, we, we want to be the focus um, because we have needs that we cannot uh, acquire for ourselves, can't eat, can't clean ourselves, can't do all those things. That's right. And so, you know, we are born with a universal sense of the whole world. The whole world attends to us and that every, all things are possible. Again, that's not a, right. that's not a conscious sense. But when we're born, the whole world is unfolded before us and, and every, every option is available. And, uh, and again, mm-hmm. and so there's nothing that, that has placed any limitation on us uh, and, and what we can achieve at our birth. Uh, you know, it's all contained within us. All that potential is within us upon the time we are uh, upon birth. And our family's responsibility is to nurture and care for us in such a way that we begin, we can begin to realize what those possibilities and potentialities are. Well, then we we get a little older. We, we move into that time uh, normally labeled as the terrible two, the terrible twos. More and Gillette call it the time of the precocious child, in which we begin to discover that we're not the only ones in the world, defe- uh, you know, uh, competing for our parents' attention is that yeah. all of a sudden I'm finding that there, there are other people with whom I have to begin to share existence. And usually it's siblings, uh, time, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you're, if you're a fam, both your parents work and you have to be placed into daycare or, you know, be left in some place where all of a sudden um, your world changes pretty dramatically because I'm not the yeah. focus, focus of my mom and dad's world. And that's when, <laughs> and that's when that, that uh, figuring out how one coexists with other people um, begin to take shape. Uh, and so again, again, the terrible tools twos is a time of acting out because we're trying to figure out where we fit and right. uh, why I have to share, uh, you know, my life with anybody else. Cause up to this point, it wasn't required. Uh, and then we move into, uh, into the next period of time called the Oedipal child uh, where we begin to realize that uh, that not only am I uh, have to share uh, life with others, but this, but my what I bring to the world uh, has different value 
my gifts and graces are valued differently by different people. And so mm-hmm. we begin to discover that I'm not perfect. I begin to discover that there are people who don't like me, that there are certain behaviors that uh, I get uh, that are not as well received by other people as what some other people have. And, you know, Greg, um, you're, you're stepping on my toes here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're again, and when I was growing up, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. You know, the, the measure of your worth was your athleticism. Right. And, uh, right. you know, and so you played little league baseball, you know, you uh, played uh, flag football, you, you know, you did uh, all kinds of basketball programs. I grew up in a community where we had a boys club. And so, again, I spent almost all my free time at the boys club engaged in some form of athletics. Wasn't very yeah. good at it, but, you know, that was the expectation. <laughs> and right. uh, and so, again, uh, you know, um, you know, you're you're a person uh, who's quite tall. And I'm sure that you dealt with a lot of expectations about being able to dunk a basketball and you know, all yeah. that kind of stuff where people who are much shorter than you would not have. Yeah. yeah the, the, the ongoing discussion throughout the years is uh, uh, being, being as tall as I am is everybody asks, Oh, did you play basketball in high school? Well, no, I didn't. Um, you know, so that always kind of surprises people um, because there are these, you know, expectations that, that develop um, assumptions that develop through society um, that someone who is of taller stature or is of a larger stature may um, engage in a certain, um, you know, activity, whether that's basketball or whether that's, you know, uh, football or whatever. Um, and those assumptions start to develop um, and, and become manifest. Um, it sounds like around this, this edible child uh, phase where um, we are um, finding out um, the, the importance, at least societal importance of competition. Very much so. And it's also a time, they call it the edible, the edible child phase is because it's also a time where, again, these are all generalities. It's also a time where we begin to, to, to break out of the mother's realm of care. And, uh, you know, up to this mm-hmm. point, um, you know, our, our mother has been, um, you know, a primary figure in care and nurture and support. Again, not, not that the father isn't in that, just a different kind of role. And, uh, right. and all of a sudden, you know, um, uh, the, the kind of person mom wants me to be is being challenged by the kind of person the world expects me to be. And so we're, we're fighting that uh, archetypal mother image of, of, of care and nurture. Uh, it's like being thrown out, you know, into the bee, out among the beasts of the world, you know, where all of a sudden that stuff, it, I'm penalized for that, uh, for, you know, for mm. holding the value system that my mother has instilled within me, because that doesn't help me compete well. It gets in the way of my competition. Right. And so, uh, and so up to this time, competition was innocent. You know, it was, you know, uh, it, it didn't carry life, uh, kind of life altering circumstance with it. You know, we're playing, you know, playing army or whatever games we play as kids, you know, uh, right. that's just children. And now all of a sudden the competition that I'm engaged in has lifelong importance. 
And so, yeah, we're some, made, some consequences that didn't before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so now, now we're beginning to understand that the world really is a dog eat dog world. And I've got to figure out what my skill sets are and begin to refine those skill sets if I'm going to survive. Because my survival depends on how well I compete. And if I don't compete mm-hmm. well, I don't get the spoils of competition. You know, I'm going to get the lower paying jobs. I'm not going to have the trophy wife, so to speak. I'm, those things are going to be denied uh, me because I'm not engaged well. I don't know how to, to compete, uh, you know, in, the, in a system in which those rewards are handed out. And, of course, what we haven't talked about, but this also impacts self-worth. If my self-worth socially is defined by what I'm able to achieve, uh, accomplish, conquer, etc., and I don't do it well, then all of a sudden my sense of self-worth is rock bottom because I, ah. I'm not worth anything to those who, who are by whose standard of measurement I seek and or the world says I should seek. And so, mm. uh, so we're at this particular period of time in which, um, you know, again, we discovered that, that different assets have different values uh, and, uh, and those values are tested in the competitive realm and uh, are those assets and skills. And if I can't do it well, then I'm, I'm subpar. I, I don't matter. The world doesn't care about me. I have no worth. And, uh, and then all kinds of bad things begin to happen as a result of, uh, of that. And so that's, that's the third phase, the Oedipal child, where we're, again, we're, we're discovering that the gifts and graces that our, our mothers gave us do not help us compete well. So we begin to break free of our mother's hold. <clears throat> I, have, I can remember uh, stories. Uh, I didn't know at the time what they meant, but I can remember those moments in, with my relationship with my own mother where, um, you know, I, I broke free of her expectation and uh, they were very painful moments. You know, right. in my growing up, they were required. Uh, I thought they were required, and and again, my mother and I enjoyed a great relationship until the time she died. But that was, uh, but I can remember those those moments in my developmental process uh, when they occurred. <clears throat> and then the final phase of the immature masculine is what they call the hero phase, and this is when we discover and begin to build on the gifts and graces that we have. For some, it's academics. For some, it's athletics. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, for some, it's, some is skilled workers with their hands. Uh, I remember one of the guys I was in high school with, a uh, neat guy, his, his gift was his, he could design cars and, you know, uh, and, uh, and things around cars, you know, that were mind-boggling. And, uh, you know, when we grew up in a time of the muscle car area, you know, the 57 Chevys yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and he, he would take a standard car and then do these extraordinary kinds of design creativity things with it. Well, he ended up doing that for a living. He had a shop yeah. where he customized automobiles and he was phenomenally great at it. He was very successful, but that wasn't a normal, one of the normal, uh, ways in which, you know, success was defined. But he, he, he was at peace with who he was. He developed that and did a beautiful job. But that was very successful in life. So, again, we find what we have and we, re, and we refine those gifts and graces in order to find our niche 
and and compete well for the things uh, you know for the rewards that society says we are supposed to have. Well, uh, when we as we refine those, we begin to test the limits. We have that sense of of uh, you know I'm I'm uh, indestructible. And that's when we begin to develop risk, take risk and chances. And, yeah. and uh, that's the hero sense is that, uh, you know, we, we push the boundary until, until we're told or we discover you can't push beyond that boundary anymore. And uh, uh, I remember, I, you know, when I was growing up in early adulthood, you know, Evil Knievel, the daredevil, was, um, you know, was very right. popular. And this was a person who was always pushing, you know, those, the hero limitations and, uh, to great personal cost. Uh, but that was, you know, again, that's, the, that's a gross exaggeration of the hero side of us, but we live in that time in which, you know, the hero's status is always measured by how well you compete. And in, in right. our culture, our culture stops there at the immature yes, mass. There's, there's no reward in our culture for moving from the, from the hero mindset, because it's the hero mindset and the competitive, the competition that drives that mindset that, that our economic system requires. And so therefore to move beyond that, uh, to move beyond the hold that competition has on our lives, that uh, where competition as, you know, uh, uh, reframes and, and um, supports that hero mindset uh, there's no reward. And so our culture just literally stops for men right there. And, and so, you know, patriarchy feeds that because it gives men the playground yeah. in which to, in, to play out their hero status and to, and, and their, and to live out their competitive uh, nature. Uh, the realm of influence suffers because most of the time when we are competing well, the people around us have to have to suffer because we put so much time and energy in, into what we need to do to compete. We work long hours. We're never home. Right. Uh, you know, we do all those kinds of things. And then, uh, and then, in, and, and again, and competition is the foundation upon which all this stuff flows. And so, you know, what do you do on Sunday afternoon? You watch an NFL football game. If you're a guy, watch football. Right. You know, this time of year, what are you doing on Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday nights? You're watching, you know, college basketball or NBA basketball or, you know. So, again, a guy's world is just dominated by, by images of sports and competition. And uh, well, and for those of us that are a little nerdier, um, it, it's, you know, you see it in all the, the comics, um, all the um, hero films um, that are out there. Um, in those universes, uh, whether that's Marvel or DC or whatever, um, that there is a, a, a sense of this um, heroic, um, and that is the be-all, end-all. Well, think about the gamers today, you know, the electronic games. Yes. Yes. I mean, that, that's yep. another place where that gets fed, as you know, again, for the nerdier folks, I guess. Is, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a multi-billion dollar enterprise. You know, yeah. that uh, yeah. and it's just a new realm of competition, one that has blown me away. And some of this, I yeah. guess, is a, is a place of my own piety is, you know, I, I am I do like sports and, uh, you know, I, I do watch, uh, you know, ESPN probably far more than I should. 
But now they've made, uh, you know, uh, Texas Hold'em poker a new sport. <laughs> beyond that, beyond that, there's e-gaming, you know, where, um, which I don't even understand. That's my kid's generation. Um, but, uh, you know, you can make apparently pretty good money and a name for yourself uh, playing uh, different first-person shooters and all sorts of different e-games. Um, that is a whole realm that I didn't even know existed um, and has developed in the last um, probably half a decade to a decade. That That's right. And again, why do they exist? Well, number one is because there's economic value in it. And number two, it's taking technology and the advances that it has given us and given it a competitive twist. And so, mm-hmm. again, as, as basketball and football may diminish in importance with each new generation, we are finding other kinds of things that, that come along to fulfill the changing interests, the competitive interests of new generations. And again, the e-gamers, as you just described, is one of those places where that's I mean, it's just, it's a phenomenon in many ways for you know one person of my generation, and that's. Yeah. Uh, but it it is such a universe. The point is, is such a universal ele- a part of of social structure, especially Western social structures, that it doesn't make any difference what the competitive genre is. All of us, all of the social structure is still driven by how well we compete in the world, how well we continue to live out of the hero archetype as part of the immature masculine. That's the problem. And just in a kind of a summary statement, why is important for us as people of faith in doing, doing men's ministry is as long as I, as long as I understand everybody around me, in competition with me, which we do, we are required to see everybody as competitors. I can't go too deep with you from a spiritual standpoint because that requires vulnerability. And if I let myself become vulnerable to you, I am giving to you my competitive edge. Now you have something to use against me in the realm of competition. So, So, you know, most men's ministries don't go beyond the surface because we don't know how to, how to give up, how to become vulnerable one to another without giving away the competitive advantage. We are told each of us are required to maintain. And so men's ministries just kind of skirt along the surface. We come in, you know, we fix the toilets, we build the playgrounds, we take boys fishing, you know, we, we, we do fun things with our kids and then we stop. We do, we do, we, you know, again, part of our ministry is through the General Conference Disciple Men is our, is our breakfast fundraisers and our uh, yes. cooking permission. And again, they're great fundraisers, but they don't develop men's ministries. And you go, right. they're extremely important, you know, in, in how we raise resources to do wonderful ministry. But for each man participating, it doesn't take you down into a deeper spiritual level where we need to go. And uh, because yes. we don't know how to do that, we, we still live in fear that it will be used against us. And so we don't do it. And so part of our work with the Jesus way is giving men a journey 
to where they can safely begin to move to a much deeper realm and deeper relationship with God through Jesus Christ, where they, where they can overcome their fear of vulnerability through developing high degrees of trust relationships with the other men going on the journeys. That's what's required for us to begin to make any kind of shift culturally, socially, uh, and especially within the life of the church, if we're going to get men re-engaged in meaningful, significant ways in the life of the church. Well, and, and I I really appreciate Moore and Gillette's work because um, as I've read through it, as I've studied it, as I've, as I've looked at it, um, it gives me a framework um, that I've longed for, I think, um, as, as a man in society, a, a framework for understanding my, um, my specific roles, my specific gifts and graces, um, and moving beyond encompassing some of that competition, but moving beyond it, transcending it, um, if you will, um, to something that is more than, uh, and that has been, uh, very powerful. You are right. That's been my experience as well. And, you know, one of the things that I think is most important to point out is this does not diminish you at all in your sense of who you are as a, as a, as a man in the world. Right. What it does is it, it, it gives you a greater sense of that far beyond what you've ever been able to enjoy in the competitive realm. You know, that, that in the simplest forms, the difference between a person who is operating out of the immature masculine and someone who is operating out of the mature masculine is who occupies the center of your world. As in, yes. in the immature masculine, you are the center of your world. And all things happen to, to nurture and support you. You, I mean, even, even in how you care for your family, uh, you know, the people yes. that you love, it still flows through your own sense of need. When you move into the realm of the mature masculine, it's about the other. It's about becoming yes. God-centered or Christ-centered, depending on your, your frame of reference there. But we become other-centered. In tribal societies where rites of passage have always been a part of, of their, the fabric of their world, is, is that they understood that before a boy could have value as a man, he had to go through a rite of passage where he had to die to self and rise to the service of the tribe or the community, where he had to yep. understand that his primary importance was to the whole, not to self. Yeah. But we don't have those rites yeah. of passage built into the Western cultures. And so we have a world filled with, you know, all of our leaders and men, almost without exception. There are some wonderful exceptions. But almost without exception are people who are still operating out of that hero mindset, that immature masculine, where still everything that they do, all the decisions that they make, still they filter that through what's in their own best interest first. And look at the world we have today. And uh, yes. you, if you want proof that there's need for a different model, just just take a good look around. And so the, the mature masculine requires a journey. It requires a rite of passage to move, to really go through that dying to self. And doesn't that sound biblical in some way of dying it to does. self and, and rising, rising in Christ, rising in that right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And what we're, what we're doing with our ministry in the Jesus way is that we are helping men discover that there is a good, beautiful way to make this journey, uh, you know, that does not 
that does not compromise who you are and what you hold dear mm-hmm. about yourself as a man, but helps you understand that it has far greater purpose than what you've ever imagined. And it just enhances and enriches yeah. that understanding to the nth degree, because now you're, you are experiencing that in right relationship with God. You've, you've opened yes. up the realm of God to you and who you are and how you live in the world. And it allows you to discover the full potential, that full potentiality that God placed in you and the divine child at your birth, as a divine child at your birth, to now to discover yes. how you begin to live that out in ways that bless, truly bless the people around you that bless your family, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, your world. That's what it's about. And and the journey is so, so important for us to make. And next time we're going to be talking about what it looks like to live out of that mature masculinity. That is awesome. Greg, thank you. Uh, this has been a great conversation today. I, I think it really sets the stage well for um, looking forward to what we can talk about, what we can experience, and and, and um, uh, uh, how life can be changed, transformed as we uh, begin to live out of that mature masculine. And I know that's the the focus of our next couple of conversations together, um, because it is such an expansive and important topic. Uh, we'll be talking about that. I'm in some way, probably from here forth, uh, we'll be talking about um, what the mature masculine looks like. You bet we will. And we'll also begin to show how, uh, the Jesus way journey that we are, you know, that we have nearly completed, uh, is, uh, how all that stuff ties together and why it's important. Well, Greg, again, thank you for your time today. Thank you, everyone else, for checking in and listening today. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to our our conversations uh, even more so as we continue this journey together. As am I, Alex. Thanks for your leadership in all of this. So appreciate the journey with you, my friend. Our special thanks to our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Dean Phelps, for providing the special music of this podcast. You can discover more of Dean's music at deanphelpsmusic.com. And you can learn more about the ministry of Disciples Men on Facebook and through disciplesmissions.org.